0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at Circle of Let's start by reading some bi- the Bible. Okay. Uh, do I have the Bible here? All right, great. I'm going to turn to Mark 8. This is from the New Revised Standard Version. I want someone to read chapter 8, 31 to 38. I'll take the mic. Okay. All right, Kay, you want to do it?
1: Sure.
0: Thank you. Uh, can you tell me what reading so Thirty-eight to, thirty-one to thirty-eight. Chapter,
1: thirty-one, this part right here. Okay, cool. I need glasses so bad.
0: Okay, I'm sorry. I usually, I usually don't call on anybody to do it, okay? No, no, you're good. You're
1: good. Uh, then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, And be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake And for the sake of the gospel, will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God has come with power.
0: Thank you, Kate. Let's pray before we keep going. Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me, for whoever. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? I want to talk about what the, a little bit about what that means today and what has meant for me as a pastor and as a church planter. Kaz, when she was describing I mean, the way that I heard Kaz was like, this is how you hold more water, and this is how you hold more shells and more money. So that's just how I was thinking about it. Um, And it kind of, to me, relates to the passage, what good is it to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul, you know? The tighter your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. Familiar with this quotation? Princess Leia to General Tarkin, same idea as far as I'm concerned that Kaz was bringing to us. You know, the tighter you hold to something, the more you lose. And being a pastor is kind of a lesson in that in many ways. This is a little bit of a nostalgic meeting because we sang this a very old song. Old for it's not old in like as far as human history is concerned, it's just old as far as like I'm concerned. <laughs> um, I think we sang we sang that um, from sorrow to wholeness song probably like t- we eleven years ago, um, and it was around that time that I met Megan Jackson. Um, she was first time visitor at our congregation. We were at 19th and Girard. Um, it was the, called the Berean Institute at the time. She, I was a young church planter. I was super eager to meet new people that were gonna like be at the church. So like I look around and kind of see like neck at the door all the time to see who was gonna come in, who's new, who do I want to get to know and talk to. Um, someone asked me, like, how do you relate to introverted people as an extroverted pastor recently? And I said, well, you got to talk to them when there isn't a million people around. Like, from what I've learned, and I, I don't think this is true of every introvert, but, like, they, they sometimes come late to something so they don't have to, like, have this intense moment of all these people where like informal kind of activities are happening and they sometimes leave early too, so like especially this happens at the Sunday meeting, people come late and leave early, you know, just to survive the meeting whereas with me I'm surviving the meeting and I'm trying to end it so I can get and talk to everybody like that's that's always been how I thought you know, it's a wonder why I talk so long too, so I don't know, there's contradictory ideas there, but but Megan I, I wanted to introduce myself to her. I swear, and I don't know. I mean, I've told this story a lot of times. I think, like, right when it ended, you were out. And I was like, oh, no. And I think you were going to the Broad Street line, if I remember. But maybe not. I don't know. I might be adding details. But, you know, the Bible's kind of like that, too. You keep retelling the story, and it changes. But she's leaving. And I, have to, I run down the stairs. and like, And in my mind, I'm like, I don't understand why, first of all, someone wouldn't want to talk. Like when in my mid 20s. So, like, I don't think this could be inappropriate anyway. I think this is nice. This is hospitable. I'm trying to meet her. So, I run up to her and I accost her and, like, try to get her attention. Hello, I'm Johnny. How are you? How'd you hear about us? What's happening? You know? And she was connected to Kaz at the time, right? So, but Kaz wasn't part of our congregation. She was a mission year person. And I was so, I mean, I'm glad, I don't know, maybe I've ran down people and they haven't come back. I think that's probably what happened to some or many of them. But she kept connecting after that. Um, And we've been partners in this work for a long time. I'm grateful for that. And I hope we'll be lifelong friends. Planting a church and forming a community definitely made a lasting and unforgettable impact on me, and Megan's part of that story. Here's another one. I met Andrew and Amy together, I think, at a Sunday meeting, okay? And I'm trying to piece this together, so like, again, you'll have to verify these facts, Andrew. I'm not under oath, so there's no crime happening. But Andrew, I think, had just returned from a trip. And he had told me he was ready to join our new kind of church plant when he was back. There was a time where he left, and then when he came back, and it felt like a long time at the time, but I think it was just a little bit of time. Like, I thought, I don't think he was going to make it back, but he did. And I was excited about that. And I saw he and Amy together at the meeting. Now this is horrifying to say, and I'll just admit it to you now, I'm not proud of this. Um, But I thought they were connected to each other, you know? Two Asian people hanging out right next to each other, you gotta know each other, right? That's what I thought. Sounds a little bad now, right? But that's what I thought. So I assumed one of two things, of course. So I made the, the, the prejudicial assumption already. And then I thought, well, they're either dating or they're related. Because that was the choice I had in my head. So, like, instead of keeping it here like a normal person, I asked them Are you guys brother and sister, or are you dating? I had to clear up the confusion. <laughs> or maybe they were cousins or something, you know? The problem was at the time, they weren't sure if they were dating or not. So I kind of forced the DTR, right? And the, you know what DTRs, DTR is? Evangelicals do this thing where like they try to determine the... I don't know if it's just evangelicals, but like they try to determine the relationship. Oh, good. And so I forced the DTR in the moment. I don't even know how they answered. It just so terrible that I would do this to them. And somehow they stayed. So that's pretty good. I don't know why, why, I don't know why you could, but you did. And I'm grateful for them, too. Andrew joined the church a little after. But Amy, and, and Amy did not right away. Um, maybe that was part of why. <laughs> she remained suspicious of the church for a while. But I, I chased her around town. I had her number. I wanted to connect with her and have lunch and talk and about her life. She was in some sort of Bible study. She found trying to be her friend, and I wanted her to, hey, be a part of this thing with us. Do it with us. I'm excited. To, I, I want you to. And eventually she joined us, and then somehow she became an apprentice cell leader with me for a little time. And, you know, Andrew and Amy, too, are dear friends of mine. And we've been, they've been partnered with me in this work since the beginning. And I'm grateful for them, too. The stories are meaningful to me because of the relationships that were born from them. And I'm really grateful for the chance to build those friendships and to honor, and really honor to serve as a pastor as a result. And there are more stories and more connections that I made over the years, hopefully not as embarrassing as those, but, and I'm grateful for that. You know, and I leave with so much fondness of that. And I'd like, I, I will hold the stories and the people close to me. Even if, even if, and there are people, you know, like who I've met and loved that I'm not close to now, and that's okay too, but I still hold them closely to me. These stories kind of symbolize the posture that I had as a church planter. My goal was to get as many people to think Circle of Hope was the coolest shit in town and have them join up. That was the idea. We were church planting because we thought we had a distinct and unique gift to offer a neighborhood in Philadelphia. And my goal was to grow the church. And I did that. I spent a lot of time farming new connections, trying to cultivate relationships. You know, and we'd use agrarian language, you know, And even in the passage we just, the, the earlier passage we read, 1 Corinthians, the CEB says, you broadcast the death of Jesus with communion. That's another um, agricultural metaphor. You're broadcasting the seed. That's the idea. Anyway. And you know, I, 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 was, I was pretty assertive about this. I mean, maybe even aggressive at times. I mean, I developed a reputation for adding people on Facebook like the minute I met them. Go home and connect. Facebook is more popular then. Um, and there are good things that happened in that process. But I think it's because the Holy Spirit was working despite our church planting strategy. That's what I've come to conclude in many ways. Because the point of planting the church wasn't to build community that was part of it but it was to grow the church more fundamentally more fundamental and foundational than any other saying in our church was this organizing principle from what i could tell now maybe i misinterpreted it or maybe i misunderstood it but in my mind the church exists for those yet to join this is an old phrase. I mean, Julius is, Julius is nodding his head. He remembers this, right? We argued that Jesus was best revealed incarnationally. That means that through community and through relationships, people could get to know Jesus. I still believe that. I think that's largely true still. But even if the gospel is best transmitted, best transmitted through personal relationships, the church that's organized around manufacturing those relationships it misses some of the wisdom of the saying and the practice and you know, also as a cell leader and I was like this as a cell leader too as a pastor my goal was to develop as many personal relationships as I could for the sake of the church's growth every relationship i formed was organized around helping others to join And in fact, if relationships existed for other reasons, I saw them as less important or a waste of time. Every social gathering is an opportunity to invite someone new. I don't think that's a bad idea still. I really like to include new people. I like to introduce people and make connections. I I, I still have that heart in me. And even, but that passion falls flat when those old relationships, when those relationships become old, those new relationships become old, and then they're discarded. I think it's great to include someone new to your life, to the activity you're doing, to meet new people. I think that's good. And I still think it's a gift that I have, and I want to hold it. and It matters to me. But the idea that you're not valuable if you're not new anymore... I don't think that's so great. The primary end of discipleship in this model was to develop members and leaders who organized their lives around growing the church. And it is a lot of labor. Cell leaders multiply their cells, circles of 10, you know, we have these cells that we have. And, you know, somehow along the way, we even said like in 6 to 18 months, if you don't multiply your cell, consider closing it. The cell existed to multiply. a healthy cell multiplied. And I did that. you know, I think I probably did about 20 cells in my time. It was great. I got affirmation, praise for it. There were some social costs, but that was that felt good to do, you know, and I was getting affirmation for it, and I couldn't. It's confusing, right? When you're when you're trying to do something, and then you're following God to do it, and then people that are like surrogates of God are telling you it's great. You feel like you're doing like a holy thing. You know, and people were suspicious of me and how I related to them. Some people saw through it, but some people were connected. Suspicious of me. But the fathering I got from the pastors, and you know, one that I longed for so desperately in my youth. And it's worth that suspicion. It's worth the cost. You know, after all, they hated Jesus, so they'll hate us too. You can see how you can kind of confirm your own biases, right? (sighs) And those who are committed to growing the church by any means, we formed a tight bond. It was intense camaraderie that insulated us from criticism. We weren't necessarily mutually supportive, but it's kind of competitive in ways that siblings might be trying to get their parents' approval. And, you know, numbers, names, expanding lists became more important than the relationships. The idea that relationships were how people were joining the church took a back seat to more efficient ways of getting the church's name out there. Lost in all of this often was the point of the gospel, the message of the gospel, the good news itself. The goal was to get people to the meeting. As much as we said, the church isn't a meeting. The goal was to grow this particular church. This particular church saw itself as particularly unique with exceptional leaders. Circle of Hope is in a process of repenting of that and moving into new territory. And I'm grateful for that. And I think that you will. You know, after I go especially, you'll have even more space to do it. But there was a sort of exclusive claim on the right way to deliver the gospel, and that kind of made the church more insular and more demanding. And people were compelled to commit to the community or leave it altogether, you know. And this tight net tight-knit community garnered the church criticism as, a, as non-cooperative sometimes with other groups and sometimes combative. When I read the lectionary passage today, Jesus' words stuck with me in a new way. And cause me to reflect on this whole time. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it to gain the whole world, yet forfeit? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? I have to admit that there were times where I felt like it, I was you know, forfeiting my soul to gain the world. I truly believe that it was important for us to help people follow Jesus who want to. I still think that. To look out for people looking for us, I think that's really important. To be inclusive and hospitable, I think these are good characteristics. And I think many churches lack them. I don't think that we have the only way to do them or something, but I do think that that's something that's important but the obsession with growth and the brand seems to exceed that generosity. And what's worse, critics of that could be seen as unfaithful to Jesus. When you have a brand that you think is like the best, because we were sometimes even competing for market share. Like there's only so many people that want to go to church. We want to grow our church, so we have to act like it's the one to go to, you know? It's one thing to be like, we're on a collective mission with these other communities to, let's say, feed people food. And that's another thing to say, our restaurant's the one that really feeds people the best. I think the mission's really good. It, but but you, you start to do it to gain the whole world, and then you forfeit your soul after a while. And there were people that resisted that assimilation and managed to form relationships in community despite this obsession with church growth. I think that's the Holy Spirit working. And I think it's a testament, too, that nothing is that simple either. That there is good. That there was good. We were organized around compassion and social justice. And, and some people wanted to do that as like the end itself. This is really what we're into. This is really what we want to do. As opposed to like doing this so that we could advertise all the good things the church did to like newcomers. So it's not surprising that those who joined our church for peace and justice were the ones who often criticized how we formed and organized the community around growth. It's a real tension. And for what it's worth, that is a, his- a historical tension in the church especially in the evangelical church. Evangelicals that are pursuing racial justice, racial reconciliation, and those who want to grow. They were often pit against one another. There's a historic conflict, not just the church growth movement that came out of Fuller in the 70s. There's a hostile towards racial reconciliation movements that also came out of that time. The... the, the um, I used to think that that hostility was not, it didn't need to be that way, that you could hold both together. And I've come to think that there are church growth and church planting movements that are too rooted in white supremacy that that to hold them both together is not possible. But I remember, I was a defender of our approach, and I said, you know, you know, I, I and I was in, I, I was like in the social justice camp, and I argued that our approach to evangelism is just like any other political organizing, you know, we're just trying to grow a movement together, knock on doors, try to make a connection, make cold calls. How do you think the DSA does anything, right? I don't think the DSA does that much, but I don't want to get into that right now. But like theoretically, right? The Democratic Socialists of America, if you, need to, if you want to know what I'm talking about. But as I observed and listened to others on the topic, I realized that there was, that, that, that was not a defense of church growth. Because, again, so often peace and justice and anti-oppression are seen as obstacles to evangelism. The, grow is to grow, the goal is to grow the institution, not advocate certain causes. And if the causes got in the way, they're discarded. If people got in the way, they were discarded. The goal was to have numbers be ascendant. And I was the stats guru on the team. I reported the health of the church largely through a statistical perspective. And I think it's good to keep an eye on the numbers. I still think that. But I don't think it's just the only marker of health. Or like if the church isn't growing or it's stagnant, it's failing. Growth of Christianity wasn't even the overall goal. Growth of uh, this specific church was. And these priorities lend themselves to a lack, l- lack of institutional change. You cannot criticize the thing you're trying to advertise. You can't reform the thing that you want to grow. Those are, ca- those are contradictory ideas. It re- so there is a natural resistance to reformation. For a church that wants to grow. And sometimes a natural resistance for the pastor to be held accountable. Because there's two ideas. I mean, and I, I, the, the brand, the community is what we're advertising. I don't think we really ever pulled this off, but sometimes the pastor is who you're advertising. You know, like the big mega church people. I want to go to this person's church. Church growth can lend itself then to white Christian exceptionalism and supremacy because it elevates our faith and our churches as better and more important than the rest. And I think growth could be a part of a healthy institution, but an obsession with it can lead to counterproductive results. Rather than trying to convince every one of our friends to join the church, I think Christians should hospitably offer themselves in an inclusive and welcoming environment. Inclusive especially of racial and sexual minorities. We are inclusive because Jesus included us. Not just to grow the church. You know, I'm moved to, go- to be a, gospel of the min- a minister of the gospel in a way that makes us all more like God. I want us all to move towards being like God, being like ourselves. And I think that's what it means then to deny our worldly ambition and carry our cross. When I hear that, as someone who is very goal-oriented and very success-oriented, that's, that's, that's what God is talking to me about. What good is it to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? The gospel's good news. It's good news for the oppressed. It frees us, it liberates us. And churches should then benefit the communities they're in. Whether or not those communities even worship with them. We want to help and bless people to rest in the grace and the love of God. Be a refuge for the weary. We want to be available for when people need us. Self-sacrificial, denying ourselves, taking up our cross. And if we receive persecution, it should be for delivering that message. not for uh, coercing people to attend a church for the sake of, the, of vain or worldly goals. Let's say a prayer and then do some talk back, shall we? Lord, be with us. May, may we continue to deny ourselves and follow you. Show us how to include and love, but do so in a way that is humble, that serves you. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhope.net.